Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, I look back at all things Kota, where crashes and mistakes were the talk of the town as a Honda took its first Grand Prix win of the season. Remember, if you want to send us a question, you can voice note us, do it on your phone or uh, email us. It's podcast at crash.net, along with your name and where you're from. If you're voice noting it, keep it to 30 seconds or you can just write us uh, an email and we'll try and get you on the show. Right, recording day is 18th of April. It's a Tuesday. It's in the morning. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me, as always, is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin and this man, uh, a superbike racer. This is back from 1983. Pete, so you were sent this photo uh, with Keith and his luscious locks. Um, well, we need a bit of context for this, please. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure Keith can explain it all. But yes, I was said this by a, a mutual friend of ours, Mike. I think you could say it's uh, the full video is on YouTube, so worth a look. But yes, a young, a young Keith Hewin in his prime. I think he has a, a cracking race through the field and and goes on to win so yeah Keith can explain the details but uh, yes the man the man in the middle at least for me and Harry on this screen is uh, is uh, yes very familiar to us funny isn't it it's um it's it's such a long time ago but yeah I did have a life before you lot dragged me into um the crash uh, studio <laughs> <laughs> and it's it was I mean they were really good days I mean two strokes to start with no electronics particularly or any of that particular side of things you had to take care of tires i mean it's something that we'll be talking about as far as coacher is concerned in a minute there's some relevance there still you know you had to manage your tires and in that particular instance you know i probably managed them quite well because <laughs> as everyone else's was falling by what is quite amusing i've got to say because i know the clip someone sent me it as well and it's kind of it's one of those ones where you think am i going to lean over in a minute <laughs> what you got to bear in mind is in those days as well you had all the fuel was in a tank between your legs in your face you know fuel nowadays is a lot lower stuck down in the seat unit so you were always i was i'm quite a tall well i'm not as tall as harry by five inches but anyway but the point being is your arms were wrapped around the tank so you couldn't hang off the bike as far as you can now everything is now you know the center of gravity's changed you know right eye adjustments and all the rest of it is, is all completely different so and you had, you know, four-inch rims or something ridiculous, I mean, with slicks on, and the slicks were bowling ball. I mean, it's it's amusing talking about it now, but you've got to remember that that was then. 
that was as fast as you could go. That's as fast as anybody could go. I had the lap record at, at Donington and various other places as well during those those days. But it's amazing how things have moved on. And, and when you get to Cota and you see the three classes, I mean, Moto 3, Moto GP with Moto 2 in the middle. I mean, honestly, if I'm waiting to see what our predictions were because I forgot what we predicted, of course, yes. for this weekend. But it's got to be so far wrong. But I seem to have in the back of my mind, I'm going to hate myself for this, is that Harry was was almost right. <laughs> and that, that kills me because he was so left of field with his prediction from memory from last week. So I'm going to hate you, Harry, and you're going to be buying all the drinks. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. Right, Keith's uh, luscious locks to one side. Um, so... <laughs> I am the only one that picked up any points wow. from our predictions. So for the sprint race, I got uh, I, I went Martin Bagnaya Miller. So I get a one one full point for that. Two half points being picked up for for Bagnaya and Martin. And the Grand Prix, I had Marini on the podium. So I get the full point and Bezecchi and Martin. But you lot, absolutely nothing. Keith Grand Prix Bagnaya. Bezeki, Vinales, Pete, Marquez, Banyaya, Bezeki, and then the sprint. Keith, Bezeki, Mark Marquez. Well, that one didn't work out at all, did it? Uh, you were, that, that was a bit unfair, that one, really. Uh, Binder, and then Pete also went Mark Marquez, Bezeki, and Miller. But no, no, I'll no, tell you what, no. I was close for the main race, though. Vinales, if he'd got a proper start, mm. he was right there. Da, 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 da. And Banyaya looked really good. Can, can we talk about MotoGP? Should we, should we start off with MotoGP? Yeah, in, absolutely, in, yes. In the podcast. You know, I sat here at the start of that race and I thought, Rainier does not look comfortable. The bike was picking up in a, a couple of places that I hadn't noticed it picking up before, like he changed settings slightly and was delivering a bit more horsepower. He was out the front and I was, he didn't look comfortable. And the only thing I can come to the conclusion of, despite the fact he was out the front and he got fresh air in front of him, was that the temperature we know popped up when it came to the start of the race. There was a lot of people... Mayo Marigali from Yamaha was talking with Piero, uh, what's his name, the, the uh, Michelin guy. Um, they were having a big conversation. Lots of conversations going on about tyre pressures. And we know tyres around that place has been a major problem in the past. And I just wonder whether, you know, afterwards, Bangai was complaining. About, what did he say? It wasn't him. <laughs> the Ducati was so good, it's no good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it was so good, he didn't have the feel that he, he thought he wanted. But I'm wondering whether... Maybe tires, tire pressure-wise, it just popped up just a little bit to the point where it just didn't quite have that front-end grip that he'd been used to during the week so far. Because it was up and down. It was a, a you know, Cota's a funny old track anyway. It's got bumps all over the bloody place. It's badly, badly looked after. Um, and every year it's different for some reason or another. So your data from the previous year is really pretty useless by the time you get to the next. But I just wonder whether we got a situation. And he didn't look comfortable. I <laughs> Spent more time with my wife for some time, but I actually managed to get her to sit with me and watch the MotoGP, which is pretty unusual. <laughs> and I said to her, I tell you what, Bagnari, don't look comfortable. Then 15 minutes in, way off he goes again. I'm screaming. The kids are running in here trying to find out what's up with dad. Is he having a heart attack? <laughs> because at first, you had that contrast. At first, you thought Bagnari is controlling this because we know how much pace he had during the week. He's controlling it. He's sitting there. He's just working it out. But then I said to her, he don't look comfortable like that bike. And of course, I might as well, you know, she's got no clue what it's like to ride a Grand Prix bike. So it had no effect whatsoever when I was talking with her about it. And uh, and, and and next next minute, he's down. But next to that, what a ride from Rinse. 
what a ride from Marini. I thought Marini was going to do Rins at one point. I thought, but Rins was perfectly controlling it. You guys talk about it. I'll fill in any gaps because it was right fantastic. I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic podium all over the place uh, with uh, with action at Kota, wasn't it, Pete? Well, got, let's let's go with uh, with Rins then because. I mean, who'd have thought it? Well, you might well have thought it after the sprint all of a sudden because you're just thinking he has a bit of a pension around Kota based on his, his previous uh, categories as well in his junior career. But, I mean, we had all but, but written off Honda at the start of the year, hadn't we? But then he goes and does something like that. Mark Marquez will be fuming. It wasn't him. Oh, sorry, is that me? <laughs> yeah, go well, on. Well, Keith, Keith, he did, he Keith did, wanted to come in there, didn't he? I'm very conscious of butting in. You know how I do. <laughs> go on, Keith, butt in and then Pete pick up. Well, I think, Mark, you mentioned the reason why I was sort of like this was, that we, yeah, Mark Marquez, obviously this bike has been built around Mark Marquez, pretty much. And, you know, Rins, they're no muggers. Lucio Cecinello, he knows what he's doing. That You know, the, the LCR team really know what they're up to. And I, I get the feeling that Rins has settled into a really a, a kind team, a team that understands the rider. Lucio is a very fast man in his day as well, so he knows what's what. He's a very eloquent fellow as well. And with Rins and that team together, they've got that Honda perhaps a bit a bit how Rins wants it rather than how Marquez wants it. Um, and Rins, as you say, round there has got a fantastic record. But it was his, it's the way he controlled the entire race. You know, he just, he had... He was doing everything bang on. You know, Quattararo had a good ride behind because he got fresh air. He hadn't got to worry about, you know, a Ducati ramming up the inside. The closest one to him was in front of him. So so he got a situation where he could manage. It was a boring race. It was the worst race of the three. There's no doubt about that. Um, and the racetrack, so much criticism over the racetrack as well. Sorry, go on, Pete. Um, well, just on Rins, I suppose that Nakagami's teammate was quite interesting because he spent most of the weekend trying to work out why is Rins going so much quicker than me? And uh, his conclusion was that Rins was sort of riding it Moto2 style because of the exactly what Keith was saying, the lack of grip on the track. Rins was carrying the speed through the corner. But, you know, he wasn't suffering on the exit either. You know, he wasn't having trouble from, let's say, not picking the bike up early, which is what we see a lot of MotoGP riders do, don't they? They pick it up, as Keith mentioned, and fire it out. Rins wasn't doing that, but he wasn't suffering that much from it either. Now, whether that was a low grip thing, who knows? It sounded a bit like what we hear with Quattararo and the, and the other Yamaha riders, that he, he uses the corner speed to make up for the lack of exit somehow. But that was that was what Nakagami found. He wasn't able, obviously, to, to replicate it, but that was what he could see on the data. It, Nakagami was just suffering from crazy wheel spin on the exit of the corners, as he put it. Um, as far as Mark, as you say, Harry, well, I'm not sure, you know, what must he be thinking? I mean, okay, I'm trying to justify my double Marquez prediction for the victory here, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, yeah, Rins is great at the track, as, as he's mentioned, but I mean, Mark's won there seven times, isn't he? You've got to believe he would have been up there this weekend. I mean, how, how did he feel seeing Rins win on that bike? The first non-Honda win, or sorry, a non-Marquez win on a Honda since what, Cal 2018? I mean, that's how long it's been since someone other than Mark Marquez has won on a Honda. Rins has gone and done it in his third race. Mark must be must have thought, you know what? I could have been up there on that. Rins isn't even on the latest mm. spec parts either, is he? Yeah, it's um, like a satellite. Yeah, that's it. On the other hand, Mark might be thinking, you know what? I can't believe my luck here. Bagnaia's fallen twice, throwing 45 points away. Quattararo fell in the in the sprint race. Aleish fell on the opening lap of the, uh, um, the main race with the ride height problem. Um, Vinales, as, as Keith mentioned, was fast enough to win, but had two, you know, sort of terrible starts with the clutch. So maybe, uh, you know, which way do you look at it? Is it the glass half full thing or not? I don't know. But I mean, Mark could Mark could have been up there leading this championship, couldn't he? Instead, Bezeki's leading it. 
but I think he's got 60 points or something out of 111. So just over half the points and you're leading the world championship. So we, we, all the riders and us, we're all talking about consistency, weren't we, at the start of this year. And no one's had it so far. So, uh, yeah, it, it just stays unpredictable for now. It's a modern day phenomenon in MotoGP that, you know, the points are spread over a wider area than they've ever been. You've always had, you know, a manufacturer or a rider who's pretty much dominated at some stage during the season in the years past. But it's not the case in the last couple of years, is it? It's, it's a case everyone's got a bite of the cherry. And I think, you know, once you become a believer at this level as well, that's the 16 points between the top three at the moment. You know, it's 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 all to fight for. And Marcus could come back with all these rounds that we've got sprint and main race um, type affair. Then, then he could come back and still win this championship. Now, you know, whether he's going to or not, he's, a, he's very much, you know, well, it's going to be a wonderful season if he manages to do it from where he is at the moment. Let's put it that way. Marini was my man of the race for MoGP. Um, Vinales, you've mentioned that, Pete, that, that again, useless start, whether that's down to the clutch, whether it's his operation of the clutch, I've got no idea. They, they know what's going on with that. Um, made a very poor start, ended up fourth. Um, reckons he could have been a race winner. I wouldn't argue why not either. I think I'd got him for the top three at one point in my little prediction thing, but didn't work out. Yeah, no, no, no. I can hear the violin it, it in was, the back. It was quite funny because all the riders that fell off said they were on the line, you know, on target to win. Jack oh. Miller sort of joked about it. He said, you know, yeah, I could have won, but, you know, I would say that, wouldn't I, when I fall out happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a nightmare racetrack. It is a nightmare racetrack. The changing conditions, the change, the temperature can go from boiling hot to freezing cold in the morning. I mean, it's very cold in the morning for the warm-up. They had rain prior to the, to the to the race meeting anyway for the to the weekend. You know, so the track was in poor order. I mean, one of the funniest comments, I watched it on BT Sport, and uh, one of the funniest comments was um, how Hodgie was talking about Gavin Emmett's fairly young child, um, Edie, her name is, and the, it looked like some of the porridge that Edie got into the, Gavin turned around and said something along the lines of, well, she don't have any trouble. Um, she gets porridge all over her face. Not like a dad then, I think was the comment, because he's quite good at eating porridge, is, is Gavin. Um, but it was a very funny comment about the state of the track. Everywhere you looked where there was a, it looked like porridge. It had absolutely been spread all over the track. They got, it's a very strange thing that they do with that racetrack over there, how they how they manage it, how they how they maintain it. I think originally it was built on on moving land, land that, that can move underneath. So we got the undulations and the and the ruts and the bumps and stuff from the fact that the very sub base of the of the track moves. So then they're forever trying to blade it flat on the top. Um, short of tearing it all up and doing it again, I think they've got a bit of a problem with that because it's always going to be on the move. But the way that they've maintained it and the what the you know the areas of the track that people are having to try and avoid. Um, and add to that a little bit of water as well. It was literally trying to dodge the patches of porridge everywhere. Uh, wow. My joke with um, Gavin Emmett absolutely fell flat there because I couldn't remember exactly how he said it. So we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. We sure that it's funny comment. Oji, it may have looked like on the money. It may have looked like porridge, but it could well have been um, uh, Alex Marquez and uh, <laughs> sticking up all over the place on on the track. He didn't have a great time and then came together uh, with Jorge Martin. Why does Jorge Martin do this to me? I get behind a rider and he's so fast, yet he just never seems to have the luck to stay on like and it will you know sometimes it's not his fault sometimes it is and you know he's all the way down in the standings 11th you know with a fifth place uh grand prix um and you just think well that is moto gp isn't it that's part and parcel of it 
I've got to say, it's one of the situations where you're managing quite a lot there, aren't you? And Jorge Martin, we know he's quick over one lap and can put a, you know, can put a good race in, but he's still a little bit inconsistent with that. And that, that with, will that come? I think he probably will. You know, you can't make a slow rider fast, but you can make a fast rider a bit more consistent. And I think he will be um, come the rest of the year. Um, I mean, the first three Grand Prix, they're all weird. You know, it's a situation. Portugal mm. is not easy. Argentina is not easy. This one is not easy. We go to Jerez next. We're back to the normal situation. Level playing field, Jerez. You know, barring weather conditions, and they can be tricky down there if it's if we're unlucky. But you know, let's get to Hareth, where we've got all the data we want. Track stays exactly as as is every single year. Nothing much changes there. Um, we should be back to back to some kind of normality when we get to Hareth. Um, but it was a great Grand Prix um, at Cota. Not particularly MotoGP, not particularly exciting. But uh, you know, but from a, from a, if you looked at the paperwork, you think, bloody hell, what happened there? Mm. Wasn't all that great a Grand Prix? But the Moto Three. And the Moto 2, absolutely outstanding Grand Prix, which kind of underlines again what we were saying in recent pods, in that unlike the Formula One series, if you like, where all the classes behind that are pushed back, they are support classes, they're just left to do their thing and support, fill the day out for the Formula One main event. In motorcycle racing, all three Grand Prix, despite the, despite the fact they obviously all have different status you know, MotoGP is the highest status prototype um, category there is in motorbike racing anywhere in the world. So it is the top class. But as motorcycle racing fans, we really value Moto3 and Moto2. And this weekend, thank God, they performed. I mean, Ortola in the Moto3. Unbelievable turn two. You do not get that far out of a seat and stay on normally, let alone stay on and make your way through to win the race. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a man. His first ever Grand Prix win as well, which is a little bit special. Yeah, you could tell. I think he was a bit emotional in the post-race interviews as well. But, um, well, let's come on to that then, uh, as Pete. Let's go for Moto3. It was Altola ahead of Mazira and Nartigas. So, uh, Moto3 and then Acosta, of course, in Moto2, his second bit of the season. So, it really was all action across across Moto3 in two classes. It was, yeah. As he says, a lot closer than the the, the big race, if you like, wasn't it? And, uh, yeah, Altola, massive save puts him way back in the field and then charges all the way through. And then on the last lap, he got, he got past, I think it was Moira, wasn't it? Took the lead and you thought, oh, you know, well, who's going to win this now? And then Moira ends up off the podium because Masaya, Masaya dies for second at the last corner and puts him slightly wide, which then allows like, Artig- Artigas, wasn't it, to sort of cut through. So we ended up from, from leading a few corners earlier to not even be on the podium. Um, and, and then just we can link it to both GP, I guess. There was a penalty after the race for David Munoz for taking out Nepper at that final corner. And because of the Mark Marquez thing, there's a there's a few extra lines that have been added to it about clarifying that, you know, the, it, this should be served at the next race. But it also says uh, the next race, let me quote this, unless the rider does not participate in this race for any reason related to this incident. Now, that sort of complicates things a bit further because it sounds like what they're saying is, if you're injured because of the accident for which you've been punished, you will still have to serve the penalty when you come back. But if you miss the race for another reason, let's say you have a training accident, you won't have the, you know the penalty will 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 be gone when you come back. So it's a bit of a bit of a strange way. It, it refers to some protocol that apparently was issued at the end of March. Now that would have been privately between the FAM stewards and and the teams, presumably it wasn't published to anyone else but so this is the first time we've seen this because it's included on the official penalty notice for David Munoz so obviously this is fallout from the Mark Marquez thing but it just seems 
on the face of it to to sort of be complicating things a bit further because what happens if you get injured but then you say oh no i'm missing the race because i've got food poisoning <laughs> you know they just I, I i don't understand why the simplest of lines can't be written it just makes <laughs> me smile you, you've absolutely covered it the fact is they're just complicating it a stage further you know the penalty should be there when you next race yeah, regardless it's of the reason. Then, yeah, um, and we should say we're still waiting for a final decision on the on the Marquez thing. It was announced that it was. We were talking about is it suspended or not, and then subsequently it was confirmed that it that it is suspended mm. until they have an official an official verdict, which, as you said, Keith, should have been sort of the standard assumption anyway. But but that's where we are. The penalty for Marquez is currently suspended, and we're still awaiting the final decision on whether he has to serve it or not. Well, Honda well, will be running around with that. I mean, Honda will win that. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, it's the such change a of wording, doesn't it? For the, given that the wording has been changed, it, it indicates that, yeah. It, in law, I, I mean, I don't know what the next stage is. This is the MotoGP court of arbitration. But then, of course, we've got the, arbit the court of arbitration for sport. Now, I wonder whether, I wonder whether the, the MotoGP court of arbitration means that it can't be taken to the court of arbitration for sport, which is the, the wider wider sports body that that you know doesn't legislate but um looks through a rule book and rules overall um i, I wonder whether it can go still further if on one of honda have another avenue if this one isn't successful for them. i think it well, should be successful for them i think they've written it, it was written so badly that you know i spoke to a couple of um you know, race directors in uh, recent weeks and uh they're all just grinning at the, at the how loose the whole thing has been been written. All it needed was a couple of extra words in there, and it would have been absolutely no a non-event situation. And, and Marquez will have his penalty when he races next. Well, on penalties, Nigel has written in. Um, Hello, Keith and team. Mark Marquez received a two-long lap penalty uh, for knocking off Jorge Martin um, in an almost identical crash uh, with Martin knocked off Alex Marquez in Texas at the weekend. Where is his two long lap penalty can they at least be consistent and why does everyone including martin uh rail at mark and then martin get away with the same sin with no penalty where's the consistency well the trouble is it's the way they see it it's the way that the stewards you know see the accident and and you know it is really really tricky and this is where it comes back again. I mean, we, we seem to have covered this in the podcast before where I've said it's almost like you need today's riders. You know, you were taking the mickey out of me a bit earlier on on my concrete tyres riding around Donington Park on my 500cc Suzuki. Things have changed. I know how to ride a motorbike. I knew how to ride a motorbike really fast. But I don't feel I can make accurate comments about how you ride with aero, how you ride with, with ride height adjustments, how you ride with even seamless gearboxes. We never had seamless gearboxes back in the day either. You know, the electronics you've got, there is so much more to racing a MotoGP bike now. You know, I'm, I'm fairly opinionated and, and, and I think I know what I'm on about most of the time. But the problem is, of course, I actually don't. You know, the point is, I haven't ridden a modern day motorcycle. And this is where I think even someone as brilliant as Freddie Spencer was, you know, the, that guy is is one of the first aliens, if not the first alien, I think I've, I've put him down for it originally. Someone who does things with a motorbike that we have never seen previously. But he's fat, he's out of date, and he don't ride any of these motorbikes. 
excuse me for all of those last slightly derogatory comments because I respect Freddie hugely. I believe he knows what he's talking about when it comes to riding a motorcycle, but does he have those those little nuances of riding a motorbike in today's high tech way? Um, you know, everything is slightly different now, and I think that one of the biggest problems we've got with these penalties as well is that is. Oh, I'm going to struggle to say this, but I'm going to have to. I, I get the feeling that the respect for Freddie is diminishing in the paddock. You know, purely and simply because that consistency doesn't seem to be there. I think that the system that we have for making these penalties at the moment just isn't quite right. It doesn't actually sit well with riders. It doesn't, you know, doesn't sit well particularly with management either sometimes in these situations and probably doesn't sit well with manufacturers. So somewhere there's got to be a better, you know, a more accurate or a more knowledgeable um committee of people that make these uh, penalties stick um, but on today's facts on today's way of riding on today's technology I just think that we are we are you've had it in Formula One you know people make decisions sometimes and everybody at home goes what you know and it's, you could almost have people at home making the decision watching it on TV maybe we all have, all have a button at home that you press that's your penalty you know 59.9% of people watching say you have got to hang upside down by your thumbs. It's like who wants to be a millionaire? Ask the audience. <laughs> yeah, it is literally. I mean, it's almost as daft as that, isn't it? But actually, it'd be quite, it's probably not such a daft idea. It'd be quite good fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> what penalty should he have, A, B, C or D? Yeah, vote um, <laughs> now on the red button. Uh, yeah, there you go. Sorted. Um, um, well, but, uh, but you know what I'm saying? You know what hmm. I'm saying? I think that to have today's motorcycle races, then, of course, I know what Pete's going to say. I can see busting his gut to get here. You've got the, the natural bias then of a rider who maybe rides for Ducati or rides for, for Honda or rides for Yamaha that, that has a slight bias towards you know his manufacturer or his teammate or whatever it is. There is no perfect system for this at all. Um, it's a real nightmare. And whoever it was, I've forgotten his name because I've been blathering on for so long, but thank you very much for the question. Yeah, the fact is, there's no easy way of, of sorting this out. The consistency is missing, and it is the biggest bugbear in the paddock, the consistency that penalties are given. I don't know how they're going to sort it out, but I still think that uh, more up-to-date men on the committee. Yeah, I, I think. But then you're in the retrospective penalties, aren't you, Pete? Because you can't, you can't give that penalty when they're out there riding. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should have a button. <laughs> <laughs> there you are, yeah. <laughs> Give, give each rider, what, three penalty cards to hand out during the year to other riders. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to pick, your, so instead pick of, your time and place because if you use them all too early, then, uh, yeah, it'll go unpunished. Instead of having a, a pit board, they, 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 as they fly past the pits, they hold up their <laughs> <laughs> 200 mile an hour. On, on, the, on the actual question, I think what happened, and again, this comes back to the fact that we don't get to see an explanation of why there's a penalty or not, especially in this case. But I think what happened here is it's a bit like Marini at uh, Portimao where Marini fell and then his bike took out Bastianini and there was no penalty. I think Martin fell and then he took out, uh, obviously, Alex Marquez. So I'm guessing that's the comparison there, whereas Mark obviously collided with Oliveira and then they both fell. That's the only distinction that this is just my opinion looking at them. I think that's the only distinction I can think of there. But what you said in the first place, Pete, is bang on. And it's been a bugbear of mine forever. Is the explanation of how, why the penalty is given, and this will be a legal situation because they don't want to see it leave themselves open. 
because it's a bit like no comment, isn't it? When you sat there in the old police cell and they ask you a question, no comment, because you don't want to hang yourself somewhere later down the road. So they don't put the details in it when they should. Or they should, you know, at least a, a precy of, of, of their reasoning behind why that was given. And, and I think that it, it does the fans no good. It does, the, you know, the paddock no good. You know, it's like this, we have made this decision and that's what it is, but we ain't telling you why. It's annoying. Well, thank you, Nigel, for that question. I, I fear that, well, it's always penalties. It's a question that is always asked continually throughout the season, so I'm sure that will come back. Um, we got away a little bit there. I want to bring it back to Moto2 now, if I may be so bold, and uh, mention Pedro Costa, second winner of the season, head of a Tony Arbolino and Bo Bensnader on the podium as well, which everyone was very happy about. Big thumbs up there. Uh, so Moto2 action was good. Um, for, for our home man, Jake Dixon, um, uh, well, no, to do no, no disservice to Sam Lowe's as well, but uh, Dixon is, is the one up there at the moment. Sadly, couldn't even start the race. Well, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we had Bang Naya saying it wasn't his fault or words to that effect um, because the Ducati didn't have the feel that he needs to have. It's the best bike on the grid. It's so good that I don't have any feel. And then we've got Dixon, who was clearly miffed afterwards. I mean, I've only I've not spoken to Jake. You know, clearly after after that incident, he felt there was some reason for it that that um, they hadn't yet got to the bottom of. And I haven't heard anything since. But you know, falling off on on the warm up lap on the uh, you know the, the yeah the warm up lap is is like a nightmare. It's it's like your worst case scenario. He 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 was a potential race winner there. Uh, and to be down on the deck. We didn't really get a full... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Full on clear picture of what had gone on to, to take him down the road that was the you know unless that showed later but i i, I didn't see anything that that he was really really like Bangaya, unable to accept 
responsibility for what happened. Um, I'm of the opinion that probably uh, both of them were responsible for what happened. You know, it's a situation where you are managing, you know, if your sighting lap has gone and, mind you, I haven't said that. I said already that the temperature had got back up again. So, I mean, it would be, it's a long lap round there. And if your sighting lap wasn't quite quick enough, or you haven't been pushing, you know, to keep keep heating tyres and so on, by the time you've come round for, to start your warm-up lap, to come round to the grid, da di da di da di da you know, you, you can let your tyres drop in temperature a little bit, it, but it's, it's a, it was an unusual accident. It Could might turn out that like the wind know, direction as well, Keith. Maybe there's some riders spoke about the wind direction changing. It did pick up a lot. It did pick up a lot. You're right. I mean, there are all sorts of things that can catch you out on a racetrack like that. Yeah, I don't know, but it's a, it's a crying shame. Jakey's crying out for that first Grand Prix win, and I still believe it's coming. I mean, it's but of course he's not doing his championship looking a lot of good, and also it doesn't. It's not a nice fit as both Bangnair and Jake probably have found out on social media afterwards you know blaming the bike or blaming anything other than themselves doesn't go well sometimes you're better off just being quiet no comment your honor <laughs> can't imagine you ever did that <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> no easier comment. said than done yeah no comment no comment from, no comment from Hewan. unbelievable it's funny it's funny we were talking about um some of the shows we're going to do in the summer break and one of them was with um perhaps a, a barry sheen feature later on in the year as well I, you know seems you were looking at my rather aged um race winning ways back in the day and uh, m25 can you believe <laughs> yes folks we were talking about traveling to suzuki which was based in crawley um went from beddington lane to, to near gatwick and um and they had no m25 in those days <laughs> 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 had to go through the middle of london to get to get to work imagine that folks anyway we won't go there right now but, we're, but no, no. we may have quite an interesting feature coming up in the in the summer break that will um, these two won't be able to stop laughing and i i would imagine i could keep you all amused at home as well when we get to that stage well, we look forward to that. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's pick up on um, Pete, third place man, Bo Benznader. I mean, great to see him on the podium as well. Yeah, yeah, for, for several reasons, wasn't it? Not just that he'd been a long time, well, his first podium in Moto2, he'd been on Moto, the Moto3 podium a long time ago. But yeah, I think his grandfather passed away over the weekend. So, um, you know, he'd obviously sort of channeled all the all the emotion from that and, and really delivered. So yeah, fantastic for him to sort of pay tribute to his his grandfather in that way so yeah and, and and to be honest you know this isn't a flash in the pan for Bo is it he's been building up he's been he's been getting stronger and getting quicker so uh, I think we'll see more of it yeah I mean like and it's been a while hasn't it I mean that's the first Dutchman on a Moto2 yeah. podium um okay we've had him in 250cc when it was the middleweights before when it was a two shows going back in the day but that's the first actual Dutchman that we've had on the podium and Bo Benchard Barry Baltus deserves a bit of a mention in dispatches as well. He was having a great ride. I mean, you know, Barry Baltus, talking to Barry Sheen, it was named after Barry, got the number seven that he carries on his bike. Da, 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 da. I love all them connections. <laughs> and and Barry Baltus was having a really good Grand Prix as well until, um, until he dumped it. But I, I, it was a weekend of, of outstanding rides from people that we never expected to see where we, expect, where we ended up seeing them. 
Absolutely. Well, what's that done for the championship in Moto2, at least? Tony Arbolino uh, tops it, uh, 61 points to Pedro Acosta in second, uh, but closing 54 points. Aaron Canet in third, Salach Lopez, the top five, Dixon, Gonzalez, Somkiat Chantra down in eighth, ahead of uh, Alcoba and Albert Arenas in tenth, and then Lowe's and uh, Ben Snader at the top 12. So uh, it's certainly uh, tightening up at the top, at least. Moto3, Daniel Holgado, 49 points. Actually, uh, as tight as you can get it. They're tied on points uh, with Morero as well. 49 points apiece. Artigas Masia and uh, Tatsuki Suzuki. Uh, well, retired uh, out on Kota, but he still holds on to a top five uh, position for now in the standings. Um, let's come back to a MotoGP because there's something we didn't cover that I'm intrigued about. Um, and it's to do with Aprilia. We saw uh, Maverick Viales' poor starts, but managed to recover. Could have even taken it to the podium, maybe for the win. But Alicia Spargro um, and Ralph Fernandez as well, uh, having tough days. Uh, Alicia crashing out. But they picked up on the fact that they both suffered ride height glitches. And that might well have been the uh, response for uh, uh, their bad days at the office. Um, uh, Pete, you're nodding like you know what that means and what's going on. What can you tell us? <laughs> well, it was it was interesting because it, there's no mention of it in, in any of the official press releases from Aprilia or, R- or RNF. But good old Aleish, I mean, he just comes straight out with it and says it was the ride, ride height failure, and it's what Raul had as well. And Raul wouldn't confirm or deny it either way. He just mechanical issue. That's all I can say. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So what Aleish said, he didn't pop up at turn one, which he obviously should. And so he rode the rest of well, obviously not all the lap, but as far as he got, which was turn twelve, with it low. And then as he accelerated out of turn 12, because the bike was, all well, the weight balance was wrong, he, he just lost the front. So, yeah, he said it's not the first time it's happened. Not really sure why, maybe maybe related to, to hot conditions. But then he said it's, it seems like they're not quite sure why it occurs and why it doesn't. But, yeah, the, I think the team were not too keen on Aleish to give too many details about it. But, uh, yeah, he def- definitely confirmed that that's what it was. So, yeah, a bit of a concern. We did see it last year, didn't we? It uh, was in Germany with Vinales. So, um Ralph Raul obviously on the 22 bike, Alesh on the 23 bike. So it, it's a, especially concerning when you've got two different years of bike, but maybe they're common parts. This was a big worry, wasn't it? When ride height adjustments started to come, you know, the fact with, you know, it releasing or it, it sticking down or whatever it might be, uh, the way the systems work, you know, the, the big concern was that it wasn't going to work. Um, I suppose the equivalent is the, the good old DRS device in uh, in Formula 1 you know if the, if the thing jammed open you've got no wing when you tip it into the next corner and you need a bit of that on those things and a, and a similar situation with the motorbikes if you've got you know the, 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 the ride has has still sat down you know washing the front out you've not got any weight over the front wheel so therefore you, you lose all, all, all your traction at the front so it was a concern back in the day but Aprilia definitely have a problem with that and you know what it does do, of course, is confidence. It just saps a tiny bit of confidence. You know, is it where I need it to be? Is it going to react how I want it to react? Um, that that is a problem. But um, Vinales, he looked good, but not good enough. That podium was begging him, but uh, not getting the start again. Somewhere here, I mean, if you finish the race here, you got points. You know, fourteen well, fourteen finishes at the end of the day. Everyone got points, even. Jonas Folger, I think, got points as well. And Jonas Folger was so far off. Shout out to them. Piro and Folger both for getting points. He was so far off the pace, Jonas Folger. I mean, I don't know what anyone was expecting of him, but, you know, he he could ride a motorbike. That we can see. But at that level, having had that amount of time out, I mean, crikey, talk about in the deep end at a place like 
Dakota of all places as well. Nightmare, I'd have said for, for Jonas, but it's called points. Good on him. Yeah. That'll go down on his CV. Kept it on the bike. That's it, yeah. I mean, was it 10, I think it was 10 fallers in the in the Sunday race, wasn't it? Brad Binder got back on, obviously, as you mentioned, because it was, you know, he still scored points because so few people finished. So, um, and, and Folger, yeah, coming back, I think he, you know, he, I think he said to the team when they kind of approached him, he's like, look, my racing days are done here. I'm, I, you know, I'm fully test rider mode now. But they said, well, look, you know, this treated as test riding, you know, get time on the bike and everything else. You know, this is this is a golden opportunity here to, to really, you know, get up to speed. He's only sort of officially signed on as a KTM test rider at the start of this year. So, you know, they, they've obviously got Danny Pedroza and Mika Callio seems to be moving more from test riding to sort of the rider coach thing. So Volga's there. He, he's sort of being groomed to be the sort of the, the next sort of test rider alongside Danny Pedroza. And it's a, it's a great chance for him to, to learn the bike back with the team that he spent that, well, nearly one season in MotoGP with, wasn't it? Tech 12, back when they were Yamaha. How long do we think he'll be on the bike for? Um, in terms of when do we think Paul? Yeah, will I, be I think back? Paul is. You're looking at probably a Mugello, so I think at least two more races, at least. Right, okay. uh, I think it's it's the jaw injury. I think for Paul is that is one of the, the biggest things for him. I think Hervé Pontral was saying over the weekend that I mean it's as, as with any jaw injury, it's, it's fractured. He, he had to drink soup for you know a week or something, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So painful as well, but. Uh, yeah, let's hope he's over the worst of, uh, of the injuries and uh, you know, he's he's back on the way up and back back soon. But yeah, I think definitely not at Jerez the next race, so Folger will be there then. But maybe, I think Le Mans is the one after that. That still seems a bit early, but maybe Mugello following that. Comes back to what I said uh, in podcast past, or we've discussed in podcast past, with this new 42 race format, oh sorry, 21 plus 21, not a race, it's a sprint. No. <laughs> yep. um, Careful. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point being is that pretty soon, I think, right, you know, teams are going to need to have big backup names um, for when we've got injuries mid-season. You know, they're, they're contracted to, I think it's 10 days, isn't it? They're, they're, they're allowed to have, you know, no rider on the bike for 10 days, something along those lines. And then they've got to have someone that rides them. Well, it's all very well bringing someone like Folger, who's hardly used to the KTM and chucking him in the deep end. But that, you know, there's a safety issue there. There's all sorts of issues there with that. He's not going to be fast enough, clearly. You know, Stefan Bradl is a commentator now. Um, yeah, there he is, out every weekend at the moment on a Grand they'll, Prix They'll bike. be calling you soon. <laughs> once, once they see that YouTube video. Yeah. Just keep it on the tarmac, Keith, until the end, and you might pick up some Excuse points. Excuse me a minute. <laughs> oh dear but you know what that's a really good point, though. Like, having these, uh, you know, official, you know, backup riders, you're going to have to have a couple, but this could give those golden opportunities you know we, we discussed the likes of top rack or um you know those who have had previous recent experience look at remy gardner or well, even eka laquona you know who are, who are actively you, racing if, at the sharp end already if you're signed on to a manufacturer's contract then pretty much they can do what they like with you so mm. if you I, I don't know quite how the interaction between world superbike contracts and MotoGP contracts and the manufacturers whether you, in world superbike you're signed to a team rather than a manufacturer Certainly in MotoGP, you're signed to a manufacturer quite often in the majority of cases. Even if you're in, a, in an independent team, um, you're assigned to the manufacturer. So effectively, they could move you around, Ducati in particular, because they've got eight bikes out on the grid. So if they wanted to move you about, potentially, they probably could uh, make those moves. Now, you know, whether, whether they can, in, you know, as an integral situation regarding contracts, maybe, maybe Tom Toprak, if he's signed to Yamaha, then Yamaha wanting to deputise in MotoGP. I wonder what's to stop him from doing that if his management have signed that contract to say that he is a, 
you know, it is, it is possible. You know, Keenan and everyone else, Keenan Sofoglu, who is, is Top Rack's um, manager, I'm fairly sure will not have allowed that um, at this point. But you can see it coming in future years with these 42 races, 21 sprints, 21 races <laughs> type situations. When are they going to change that and make it just 42 races? <laughs> but, but, uh, but good point about the top rack test. Of course, we, we he was halfway through his test on last year's uh, last year last week's podcast when we were speaking, wasn't he? So that you know that, those two days have now finished. You know, initially it was like, well, you know, he's within a second of the test riders, but then sort of more and more information slipped out because there were other teams there. It was a private test, but of course there was the test teams from Ducati, KTM as well, Honda. So you know there. There's other people watching the timing screens and seeing, oh, Top Rack's gone out in a new tyre, nice shiny black tyre there. Um, you know, more information came out. It, it seems like the, the, the pace, the average pace, was still quite some way off the test riders there. Now, obviously, those test riders, people like Danny Pedrosa and Cal, they're, you know, they're fast guys. But still, if you're looking at a factory MotoGP seat, which Top Rack is, you need to be really as quick as those guys. I mean, then we saw after that, sort of those leaks were coming out, then Lynn Jarvis spoke, I think it was to MotoGP.com, some other TV companies, Sort of making clear that yeah, you know, Toprak didn't feel comfortable on the bike in the way that he does on the on the superbike, which is quite natural. But you know, he said he'll need more time. He'll need to adjust his style quite a lot to get the speed. Also indicating that the speed is still an issue there. So we don't know will there be another test or not. But to be honest, it's looking Toprak and MotoGP. I think for next year is looking pretty unlikely now. Um, not least because uh, you know there's no satellite team. Um, even though I know Keener's made clear. He's not interested in the satellite team, but it looks like there'll only be two Yamahas. And Lin Jarvis said that Morbidelli is their number one choice in in terms of if Morbidelli can keep the pace he showed in Argentina, he'll get sort of an automatic renewal. So, yeah, I, th- I think uh, it, it's it's moved a bit away from Top Rack and um, after this test. From a management point of view, Keenan might have dropped the ball a bit there. I mean, it's all very well knocking back the independent thing, but independence is a you know those are factory bikes in in MotoGP nowadays. Across the board, they're all fast bikes and, and pretty much capable of winning on occasions wherever they are. And I think that you, you know you're bang on it, Pete. I think that Top Rack is, is is dipped a bit in form this year, both in World Superbike, and definitely the test wasn't anything quite as shiny as he might have liked it to be. I mean, we speculated whether Lynn Jarvis was down on the plot, you know, basically to make sure management was was up to speed on what was going on from a from Keenan's perspective uh, as the manager of Top Rack. From Yamaha's perspective, Lynn Jarvis, managing director of Yamaha Racing, on site as well. I mean, it was a fairly high-powered test when you've got those kind of people all on, you know, observing what's going on. Now, if I go back to the, the good old days, I remember those kind of tests in the past that, that I've been involved in. And it's a nightmare from a rider perspective, particularly if it's not going how you want it to go. You know, Honda factory Honda tested us. Huh, a place where you've just been for Goodwood. And I smashed this factory bike to absolute smithereens. There was nothing left of it. And it was it was destroyed. Because <laughs> I knew I'd got to put a time in <laughs> to, make, to make it look good. We didn't quite get to that. There wasn't one left by the time we finished with the bike. But it was, um, and I think it was Takazumi's Katayama's um, Suzuka 8-hour bike as well that I destroyed. <laughs> so there was no way they were going to glue that thing back together by the time I finished with it. Um but getting back to reality, uh, the, the the pressure that Top Rack would have been under would have been quite immense at that point. He knew this is a, a pivotal moment in his career with MotoGP. So the fact he wasn't able to get closer to the times he needed to get to 
and respond to that pressure positively is a surprise to me. Uh, I was expecting much more from it and I would expect that he was as well. Um, so it's a bit of a ricket in the old career at the moment. Um, that was a golden opportunity to show him, hang on, this is what I can do. Adjusting to the bike is all part of MotoGP. We've talked about this before, you know, back in the day when they changed from Bridgestone to Michelin's, how everybody had to change their style. You have to adapt like lightning to what you've got to make those, first of all, rider adjustments before you even start to make machine adjustments. You've got to get the best from what you've got straight away. And clearly he wasn't able to. Um, will we see him in MotoGP ever? Because the trouble is, with the way that the market moves, you know, from Moto3 to Moto2 to MotoGP, <laughs> the next best thing isn't far behind us. You know, mm. And who will it be? <laughs> I've got a few candidates that are showing up at the moment. We'll see how we get to halfway through the season. But Top Rack might be yesterday's man a bit quick. Well, just from what we've witnessed as well over the last couple of years, it seems like, you know, if you want, if you move from MotoGP to World Superbikes, then that kind of seems like you can't really come back from that. And that's the way it really sort of goes. You don't see many, especially in the last couple of years, going the opposite way. You know, look at Remy Gardner. He had to sort of take a lifeboat out to World Superbikes, the quota and the like. So, uh, well, interesting to see if that um, continues in that kind of form. Now, before uh, the weekend of racing got going, there was a little bit of a, a rumour, a rumbling uh, between Dorna Chiefs and Formula One management that we might well be looking forward to some joint race weekends. Formula One and MotoGP racing on the same weekend at the same track. I think that would be bloody brilliant, especially for MotoGP. Yeah. I mean, it will from a PR perspective. Of course, it will. You, 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 you're opening up a fan base that's absolutely massive. Formula One have got that right. Um, I think MotoGP have got more to gain PR-wise from it than F1 ever have. I mean, F1 is flying again now. MotoGP has dipped in a couple of markets. It definitely needs a bit of a boost. It needs to see something different. Is it a bit of a gimmick? I think it really is. And the problem you're going to have is, you know, several fold, isn't it? You know, just from a paddock point of view. The Formula One guys, you know, it's like a, a sterile area with gate men all over the bloody place. I mean, you know what it's like when you joined me for BSB the other week, Gary. Every time we walked through a fence or a gate, you froze because you thought someone was going to shout at you or grab you by the shoulder. That's you know, the first and, thing and I said to James Hayden as well at the weekend when I saw him, I was like, oh, the BSB, you can just walk around anywhere. <laughs> well, MotoGP's not quite like that. I mean, we are quite strict on passes and stuff like that, but... You can get them, you know, for, for the right people. And, and, and you know, they are there. And charities can get passes for their punters that have won various things. I mean, it's, it's, it's loose compared with Formula One. Um, that's just the, 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 the paddock side of things. Is there going to be enough room for all those egos, I wonder? Um, <laughs> I don't know why that just went through my mind. Was was Fernando Alonso, who ended up going out with Valentino Rossi's girlfriend, Linda Morselli, going back a while. So there may even be some interest from a from a paddock social point of view as well. <laughs> if I may Netflix say so. would love it. <laughs> but getting back, although Fernando is no longer with Linda and he's he's only I think he's just party company with the with the latest model as well. He does get around Fernando. He could be in a bike paddock, he'd be right at home. Well, he's, um, he's got a bit of a relationship with the Aprilia guys, isn't he? He's been spotted in the, the garage a couple of times, so uh, he obviously gets on with them. Well, I mean, 
Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is actually fast on a superbike. You know, it, you know, they did that the, the switch program that they did between you know Valentino. Yeah. It was. I mean, there's there's a wonderful synergy, but that's where it stops for me. Let's let's be sensible here. We're talking about yeah, tire grooves completely in the wrong place. We're talking about uh, you know debris in the, completely the wrong place for motorcycles. You know, the closest thing I can think of, well, it's not close even, is it? Is Macau, where you've got bikes and cars sharing a track at the same weekend. You know, that really is a holiday. I think of Macau as a holiday race, certainly from a motorcycle point of view. Although I haven't said that, it's got a bit serious over the last few years, that's for certain. It's a street circuit, it's dangerous. We wouldn't be doing that with the cars. It, we won't be seeing them going around Monaco together, for instance. That that won't happen. Oh, God. It, will be on a, it will be on a safe <laughs> track. Although I can imagine some of the bike boys quite happy to have a little look at that it'll be quite good fun but it will be on a on a safe track in inverted commas but the problem is is the cars use completely different lines you know tire degradation is a major thing you know from a bike point of view as well the bikes will be at a disadvantage hugely from a from a grip and setup point of view running on a car track at the same time as cars do that would be my concern as it is at the moment plus the fact you're immediately into a situation where infrastructure rock wise you've you know we've, we've got to have safety barriers that are you know friendly you know cars don't like those kind of things because they disappear under things and and maybe there's a fire you know implication or something along those lines so cars want separate um they don't want gravel traps cars hate gravel traps to start with they want tarmac so they can spin round and round and round and scrub off the speed whereas bikes need gravel traps so there's quite a lot of implications from a safety perspective i'm wondering how they can put that together and what and moreover what track they could put that together at um well i, yeah. I just i'm just thinking in my head you know especially tracks Careful. on the f1 <laughs> tracks on the f1 calendar that have different layouts so obviously i know the well, infrastructure thing would make this in, but i'm just thinking bahrain for instance you know you've got this outer loop that they used once in the f1 if you just use that outer loop for the moto gp well, riders you, and then you, use the full circuit for the grand we share prix tracks already don't we Mugello, portimao well i mean yeah like, but the, i'm just saying if you've already it. got the set you know you're, you're talking about the tire grooves and the rubber being in different places well that could be a way of minimizing the effect there if you actually ran them on two different layouts um just trying to think of ways this could happen but actually i mean pete you know we're looking at they'd probably you know formula one as we know it has, it has formula two it has formula three it has porsche super cup which jorge lorenzo is doing by the way this year uh, full-time season um but you know having the time for that car. Yeah, <laughs> having the time for that and the time for moto two moto three you know maybe even moto e chuck that in there as well as, a, as another factor you'd have to scrap the support category surely I think so, Harry. Yeah, it's, it's the practicalities, isn't it? As you guys have been explaining, that would make this like: would you need two sets of race direction, and how would they? You know, mm. so you need you need the MotoGP team, you need the, the F1 team, and uh, and how would they communicate with the marshals? You, you, you know, air fences. If a car hit, hit one of those, you know, we see in MotoGP sometimes. You know, if, if an air fence is damaged, you've got to stop the session to replace it. So, you, you know, what would you do then? Would you take them away between the sessions? I mean, it's a great idea, isn't it? In theory, and it you could make it happen in some way but when you actually sort of dig into it deeper the contractual side as you, as you say you need to look i think as keith said look at the look at the races the, the tracks that already have contracts with both motor gp and f1 that would that would at least get you part of the way around yeah. contractual issues but but then again yeah you, you still got all the things you mentioned harry about you know, would you need two circuit layouts or something like that yeah it's, it's a tricky would one the to price make of the ticket go up yeah but, exactly yeah yeah that's it i mean it, 
really tricky to make it happen. I'm, and as you say, who'd have most to gain? I mean, if they did it in somewhere where MotoGP has a, a sellout crowd, well, there, there wouldn't be much point with that for MotoGP. I mean, thinking selfishly yeah. from it, you know, if you did it at Bury Rum or, or Sepang where, or, or Assen where the Sunday sold out, what's the point? On the other hand, if you do it at a track where the attendance isn't that great, then, then it could be a really good boost for MotoGP. So loads yeah. of things, loads of things. I can't, I can't imagine Formula One wanting to be part of Bog Off. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, ju- I, if I mean it's 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 a dream kind of scenario, but I think that's where it will, rem- will remain, isn't it? I, but if there's a way, you know, you could kind of do a couple of almost like showcase events where you could have well, the MotoGP racing and just show, give it that platform that it well and truly deserves. I th- I think you're absolutely bang on there. I mean, we did have. Was it Hopper that rode a factory Suzuki round Brands Hatch for a BSB event? And yes. it was, you know, people were on the fence, you know, wanting mm. to see it. But they're bike people. I think sometimes, you know, car people don't perhaps, you know, if, you, if you're if you a Magello, for instance, and, and a motorbike came past you at 225 mile an hour, you'd step back because it is pretty phenomenal to see. So you'd have to be fairly careful in if you were going to do a demo that you could get the best out of a bike. You know, you know, would it show the fan at trackside and on TV the full potential of the motorbike? You've got to be fairly careful because, you know, we're not as quick through corners, you know, obviously. Um, and some of the change of direction in Formula 1, you just go, whoa. So you'd want the same effect from a bike, really, if you were showing it to another audience. You'd want them to go, wow, look at that. Yeah, that's impressive. Otherwise, you could just drop the ball a bit with that and it, you, you, you wouldn't be showing it in the right light. I can't see top-class... Formula One, MotoGP, racing on the same track. Not racing. I just can't. I can't see where and I can't see how. Um, and I can't see the point in it other than PR. And I think, with, you know, do we want to dilute either sport by having demo-type races? I don't think so. I think it needs to be. It needs to be the best of the best. The, I mean, Formula One is the best of the best. MotoGP is the best of the best. You know, diluting that slightly I, it goes against my particular grain. Hmm. Well, we'd love to know what your thoughts are on that. Let us know uh, in the comments and on social media. Would you want MotoGP and F1 to to race across the same weekend at the same racetrack? Would you attend? Mallory Park. Mallory Park? They need to go to Mallory Park. Formula One and MotoGP at Mallory Park. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) They only need two gears. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the, I mean, having just been at Goodwood over the weekend and seeing how how narrow the pit lane is there and actually how scary that track is as well to see some of these cars you know half of it half of good but it's sort of de- almost a bit demonstration racing but actually it is not what are you showing us there Keith? is that scar the the goodwood holes in my body <laughs> oh god if you uh yeah if you haven't seen goodwood racing i, I would I thoroughly encourage you to look it up on google it, it can be quite exciting but you'll know what the i very- mean there's not much runoff area it's a it's a great racetrack. It's a it's a you know it's a fun racetrack. Bit of undulation and some fast corners, which bike racers like. But you're right, the runoff is very nineteen um, sixties. Well, you've got a lot on the on the inner on the inner loop, but not so much uh, heading towards the walls. Um, being a, being an airfield, uh, but uh, yeah, let us know what you think. F one and MotoGP, same race weekend. Yes, yes, yes or no. Pipe dream never going to happen. And if it did, it would just be a PR stunt. Uh, let us know but um, no racing this weekend we have a bit of a weekend off and then as you say we go to Jerez Jerez however else you want to say it uh, in Spain for that so we'll have a weekend off so no predictions this weekend we'll come back um, and try better but <laughs> I am leading from our last ones I am leading six and a half points in the lead 
five points. Keith is in second. And Pete, you're dwindling. Two and a half points. Terrible. Buck up your ideas. Uh, right. Anyway, in the meantime, um, we shall uh, love you and leave you and see you next week. Uh, you can uh, tune in across Crash.net in the meantime for all the latest news, features, analysis as well. Uh, and we shall be back, as I say, next week to preview all things Spain. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section, or you can tweet us, just search Crash GP, or you can even send us an email and a voice note, podcast at crash.net is the email address. And make sure you leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, particularly on Apple and Spotify. It just really helps us uh, with the algorithms and such. Um, thank you, Pete McLaren, Keith Hewitt. I've been Harry Benjamin. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.